Hey, we want to thank you for listening today to a sermon from Edwards Lake Church. And we hope that you recognize the message of God as we open his word together and examine his incredible life-changing teaching. We pray that this message will challenge you, motivate you, or touch you in some way. Let's open the Bible together. Tonight we're going to be digging back into the book of Acts as we've been doing. Uh, When we have a theme lesson on Sunday morning, we've been going through the book of Acts on Sunday evening, and we're going to try to actually go through a little bit of a larger section tonight, starting in chapter 18, verse 23, uh, because uh, I want to squeeze a little more into this lesson, several of the stories that we're familiar with in this lesson so that we can slow down on the next lesson because I want to handle a pretty small section next time just that way we can balance these two sections out. So Acts chapter 18 is where we are this evening. If you will open up your Bibles there and kind of follow along with the main ideas of what we'll be going through. Because we're going to squeeze a lot in, we're not going to dig too deeply into any of the lessons. And I don't know that I have any big ahas for you this evening as we go through these because they are more familiar stories to us. Uh, But I do think that there are some just kind of foundational lessons in this section of Scripture that are good to remind ourselves of uh, in, in making sure that we are approaching the growth of the church and our understanding of the the church back in these days. Uh, The first section here is a section that tells us the story of Apollos. Uh, He doesn't play a huge role from a biblical standpoint. You've got this short little story here. He's mentioned by Paul over in 1 Corinthians. But he is an interesting character because of what happens with him. And as I'm sure most of you are familiar with, here he is a, a Jewish man who, who has grown up in Alexandria. He has a, a Grecian name, but there's really no explanation as to why. But he is teaching what we would call an incomplete gospel. Now, he is a, a very competent speaker. Uh, the, the way he is presented as if he was, he was just a powerful deliverer of information. Like he was really good at getting up and just being an orator That was easy to listen to. Not only that, he knew the scriptures very well. Uh, He was, and and I would assume by that, meaning the Old Testament scriptures. He is very familiar with the writings, with with the teachings, with the things that the Jews would have known. And because of that, because of his great ability to speak and his great knowledge of the scriptures, he was a powerful teacher. You add to that, he's very fervent and passionate about what he's teaching. Uh, there, I have learned over the years, and don't ask me how I know this, that people will forgive a lot of missteps in speaking as long as they can tell you're really excited about what you're saying. It, it, you can guess how I know that. But it's, uh, it, it, is, it is interesting here, you've got a man who is not really making a lot of mistakes in the way he speaks. He's extremely knowledgeable about what he says. He's passionate about saying it. Uh, he is, he is going to be somebody people listen to. And he knows the story of Jesus. And, and I love that it kind of builds this picture of Apollos as being such a, a competent worker in the kingdom because of his skill, because of his passion, because of his knowledge 
yet he's deficient. Not because he wants to be. He's not a false teacher. He's not out there trying to stir up trouble. He's not trying to teach people the wrong way. But it says here that he is only familiar with John's baptism. Now, I don't, I don't know how that happens, okay? It's not, I mean, he recognizes Jesus as the Messiah because it says he's teaching the truth about Jesus. He recognizes that Jesus is the bringer of a new covenant. Uh, I would assume that would go along with his understanding of who Jesus is and what Jesus had done, and he was teaching accurately about Jesus, but he has never, somehow, he has missed the baptism that goes with the new covenant. He doesn't know that. And so we're told that Priscilla and Aquila, they pull him aside and they teach him more accurately the things on, that, that he was teaching. Let me, let me fill in the gaps for you so that you can better completely teach the truth. That's what we should be doing. If you remember back in our Mark Your Bible series of lessons that, that we've done over the course of this, I, I'm starting to realize I have too many series going on. My wife tells me this all the time, but now I'm realizing she's right. Um, you know, the Mark Your Bible series that we are still currently going through. Also, uh, we talked about the Roman road. Y'all remember that one? It, it's been a while. But we have one called Completing the Roman Road. And it basically takes the denominational concept that you can teach salvation only through the book of Romans. And, and of course, they use uh, those who, who subscribe to the Roman Road. Well, we're all sinners and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23, the wages of sin is death. Uh, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. That's Romans 6.23. Uh, you couple that with Romans chapter 10, where it talks about if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. And so then they go to, so let's say a prayer, right? Like that's the next step. No, that part's not in Romans, but let, that's the next step to completing the Roman road and, or, or to their Roman road. And what, I, what I've argued for you is that instead of sitting around talking about how wrong they are, how bad they are, how incomplete that is, just fill in the gaps. Be a Priscilla and Aquila for people. Say, you know what? What you believe is absolutely right. Yes, we are sinners. Yes, we deserve death. Yes, we need to confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord. But let's add to that this piece you're missing Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 4, about being buried with Christ in the baptism and raised to walk in newness of life. Let, let's, just, let's complete it. Don't refute, don't argue, don't create a debate, don't start a, 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 a division between you and the person. Just say, hey, we're in complete agreement. I just want to add something else to it. I just want to add one more verse to it. That's what Priscilla and Aquila do here with Apollos. Yes. You are a great speaker. You are confident in the scriptures. You know the story of Jesus. You know all of this. You are doing an excellent job with all of this. Let me share with you the one piece you're missing. Just, just add it in, and you will have a complete picture that you're going around and teaching. And so that's what they do. It seems that he is receptive to understanding and learning about the baptism of, of Jesus, 
we don't see that because it says he was then baptized. We don't, we don't see that piece of his story. But what we do see is that it says, verse 27, when he wanted to cross over to Achaia, the brothers and sisters wrote to the disciples to welcome him. After he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed, for he vigorously refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating through the scriptures that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, he went on, and he's teaching the same thing. He was teaching accurately about Jesus before he was confronted by Priscilla and Aquila, and he's teaching accurately about Jesus after he is confronted by Priscilla and Aquila, and they commend him in it. So it seems, I think a logical conclusion is, he received their additional information and carried it on. Uh, and and that, that's the way this should work. I bring all that up because there are a lot of people that we come in contact with that have an incomplete understanding of truth. You know someone like that? I have heads moving. Okay, three hands. Good. All right. <coughs> we have we, people who have a very incomplete understanding of what the Bible says we should do to be citizens of God's kingdom or responsive to the sacrifice of Jesus. Instead of starting a debate, which is our go-to activity, just add something else. That's it. Just add one more thing. Don't say, you know, you teach this, and this is why that's wrong. Now, they might teach some things that are wrong. I'm, I'm not saying if they do that you shouldn't have that conversation down the road. But sometimes the most effective thing we can do is not debate, but add. Just add something else. You, know, you, you understand the Roman road, and, and it teaches that we're all sinners, yes. That we all deserve death, yes. That we need to believe in our hearts, absolutely. That we should confess with our mouth, Jesus as Lord. Yes, 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 we need to do all of that. All of that's wonderful. We also need to be baptized into Christ. Well, well, well no, no, I'm not trying to argue. Just, I just want to throw that out there. You know, consider this verse. And that's it. Leave it there. Let it sink in. And then let it do its work. So, I'm not saying that would work 100% of the time. But for a sincere seeker who really loves the Lord and wants to do what the Lord says they should do, it will. If you've got an Apollos in front of you who loves the Lord and wants to pursue the Lord and wants to serve the Lord, and all they're doing is they're just missing a piece of information, if you can fill in that gap for them, they're not going to be argumentative about it. They're going to be accepting of it. And again, I, I don't think they, we don't have the whole story of the conversation that happened between Priscilla and Aquila and Apollos. I, I, I get that. I would imagine Apollos being as, as versed as he was in the scripture when they said, hey, there's this other baptism you don't know about. He immediately started making connections and, and verifying or what they are telling me accurate you know, is this true? And he starts piecing all of this together. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying they'll blindly accept your new information. 
But instead of bashing them over the head with it, sometimes all we need to do is just slide it across the table and let them read it for themselves. And, and sometimes that's enough. The next story you have at the beginning of chapter 19 is the story of 12 men. Paul, since most of the story at this point is centering around Paul, find 12 men in the city of Ephesus who they also have only heard of the teaching of John's baptism. It almost reads in context that these are men that Apollos himself had taught. I don't know that that's true, but on the tail end of a teaching about a powerful speaker who was teaching John's baptism, and then we get to a story of 12 men who believe and only understand John's baptism, I think it's an easy connection to make. But you've got 12 men, and they've been baptized with John's baptism. The reason Paul knows that is because Paul asked, Hey, have you received the Holy Spirit? Could you imagine going around and that being our question these days? You know, that, that, you know, if I go to Joda and say, Hey, Joda, have you received the Holy Spirit? He'd be going, What? <laughs> like that, that's not a regular question for Apparently it was for Paul. Paul said, Did you receive the Holy Spirit? And they went, Huh? Like we, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And so Paul's immediate question is, Well, then into what were you baptized? Because if you haven't heard that there's a Holy Spirit, you have not been baptized the way Jesus' baptism or New Covenant baptism works. Because it involves the Holy Spirit. And they say, into John's baptism. And of course, Paul then goes on and teaches them more correctly. This is a red flag that pops up for John, or for Paul, that these people don't understand baptism as baptism was taught by Jesus, or as baptism is being taught by the apostles. And so he seeks to correct that. It says there, Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people that they should believe in the one who would come after him, that is, in Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hand on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began to speak in tongues and to prophesy. Now there were about 12 men in all. So Paul goes on to teach them more accurately. Sounds very similar to the story of Priscilla and Aquila, doesn't it? They had a, a lack of information, a gap in their understanding. Paul recognizes that, and so Paul fills in that gap for them, and they immediately respond by obeying the new information that they've received. And so they are baptized into Christ, and Paul lays hands on them, and they receive the Holy Spirit. Now, that receiving of the Holy Spirit, we started talking about this a little bit in class the other day uh, when we were talking about the John's baptism of Jesus. Paul laying his hands on them and them receiving gifts of speaking in tongues and prophecy is not, I believe, the same thing that Paul's talking about when he talks about the Holy Spirit they receive and baptism, Okay. Uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Peter teaches, Repent and be baptized, each one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That was part of the baptism of the new covenant. It was a guarantee, a benefit of receiving baptism 
and the work of God and baptism of the new covenant. In case that's not clear, you look over in Titus chapter 3, and you look there at several verses, and it talks about the Holy Spirit in conjunction with our baptism. Turn with me over to Titus 3. Titus chapter 3, here it talks about in verse 5, he saved us not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy, listen to this, through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Paul's understanding is when you are baptized, when you are washed, when you are regenerated, when you are recreated, when you are taken into death, through baptism and raised to walk in newness of life or resurrected from the waters of baptism, that that process of renewal happened through the gifting of the Holy Spirit or the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, now, I, I, people get into all sorts of debates as to what the gift of the Holy Spirit is in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. I think that it is simple enough just to say it is the work the Holy Spirit does that brings us from death to life. Uh, you can also talk about the whole idea of we are guaranteed by the Holy Spirit or the seal of the Holy Spirit uh, that marks us as being belonging to the kingdom, uh, those types of things. We can get into all sorts of discussions on that. What I want you to notice for the sake of this lesson is this. Look at what a role the Holy Spirit plays in baptism. The Holy Spirit plays an important role in our regeneration, in our renewal. It, it's not necessarily the giftings of the Holy Spirit or those works, most uh, you know, miraculous works that the Holy Spirit did through people. It was the benefit of what the Holy Spirit did to a person who was baptized in the name of Jesus. These men had not heard about that. They didn't know about what the Holy Spirit did in baptism, and therefore that was a red flag to Paul that they didn't yet understand new covenant baptism. My question for you and I sometimes is, are we teaching the truth about new covenant baptism? Because my suspicion, my experience has been you take a new person who's been baptized or somebody, somebody who's even grown up in the church and they are baptized, if you were to ask them three hours later, so what did the Holy Spirit do for you today? They would go, huh? Because we don't talk about the role of the Holy Spirit in baptism, but we should because it is the renewal and regeneration by the works of the Holy Spirit that is what makes us clean. It is this promise of the Holy Spirit that sets Jesus' baptism apart from John's. And we need to give the Holy Spirit the due credit of what the Holy Spirit is doing. Paul continues in Ephesus for two more years, one of the longest stays that Paul has in any one location during his ministry. He teaches in the synagogue for three months, which is a pretty long time for Paul, because <laughs> normally he gets run out of town by that point. But he teaches in the synagogue for three months, 
until some opposition arises. And so then he moves on to start having daily lectures over in the hall of Tyrannus. Uh, this is, would have been primarily a Gentile audience for him. For two years, daily lectures. I couldn't imagine preaching every single day. But that's what Paul does. And, and as you read through this story, you find Paul does some extraordinary miracles while he's here in Ephesus. Uh, so much so that it is, people start sending their handkerchiefs to him in order to have him just touch the handkerchief and then receive the handkerchief back to receive the heat that came through Paul's hands uh, by the power of God. Uh, this is chapter 19, verse 11. God was performing extraordinary miracles by Paul's hands so that even face cloths or aprons that had touched his skin were brought to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. That, that's extraordinary. Uh, God is revealing his power in a very mighty way in Ephesus. So much so that in Ephesus... There is an amazing effect that Paul has. First of all, he's able to stay for a long time. And I think that was beneficial to the work that he was doing there. But secondly, he literally turned the town upside down. I mean, people were, were getting rid of their books of pagan worship or their magic books, as it calls it here. Uh, they were willing to, to very much change their way of life because of the teachings and the power that Paul was displaying in their mix. There were even copycats in Ephesus. Uh, you've got this uh, hilarious story here of the sons of Sceva. Uh, they are Jewish men, but they decide, well, if Paul's doing amazing things, then we're going to do amazing things. And so they go into this place where uh, there's a demon-possessed man, and they say, in the name of Jesus and in the name of Paul, we cast you out. And the demon replies with, well, I've heard of Jesus. I, I know him, and I know of Paul, but who in the world are you? And then the man attacks them, and they end up having to run out of the house completely naked and, and scared to death and beaten up because they don't have the power that Paul is, or that God is displaying through Paul. They wanted to have that power, but what's interesting is they wanted to have it without Jesus. They want the power, but they don't want the commitment. They want the power, but they don't want the covenant. And it doesn't work that way. Paul is out there teaching, you've got to turn your life over to Jesus, let him be Lord. And these people, uh, they were trying to bypass some of that. Uh, but I, again, as we said, people were selling their magic books, and he was having an incredible effect there. Uh, but he decides he's going to move on. Uh, we're not really told the motivation why he decides he's going to move on, but he decides he's going to move on. But in case it weren't clear that he needed to move on, you've got this uh, battle that starts with Demetrius, who's a silversmith there in the town, and he's making, uh, he's making idols where uh, that's his job. He, he makes idols and... Paul, because he's having such an effect of turning people away from the Greek and Roman gods and toward Yahweh and toward Jesus, uh, he is losing business. 
And so he gathers all the other silversmiths and poppersmiths and those who were benefiting from pagan worship and start a riot to try to run Paul out of town. And, of course, they get the whole town in an uproar and uh, the, the city clerk comes in and says, no, 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 you don't want to be accused of a riot. We're not going to do that in our town. Uh, if there is a problem, let's bring Paul in. Let's try him. But if this is just an emotional riot, then y'all need to disperse. Uh, and the people end up dispersing, and Paul doesn't actually get brought before the people. Paul wants to go. Like, this, what a great opportunity. I'm not teaching in a classroom. I could teach in a, in a big uh, forum where we could have thousands of people listening to the gospel, but his fellow brethren won't let him do it because they're afraid of what's going to happen. And he ends up eventually leaving. He encourages the brethren and he decides to move on, and that brings us to the story of Troas. And again, we're familiar with the story of Troas. This is a common passage we turn to when we talk about the Lord's Supper. And we talk about the, why we take the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week and those types of things. Paul and his companions, they land in Troas. They stay there for a week, which is a little bit astonishing because we know Paul's trying to get back to Jerusalem. He's kind of on a timetable uh, he wants to get back to Jerusalem before Pentecost. Uh, but they decide to stay in Troas for a week. They meet with the brethren there. Uh, my personal take as to why they stayed for a week is uh, they got there too late to find the brethren in order to worship with them one week. And so they waited a week so that they could worship with them the following week. That's my take. It doesn't specifically say that. Paul meets with the brethren. He preaches until midnight. I have never yet done that, so be thankful. Uh, he raised, uh, at midnight, of course, they're all in an upper room. Uh, you can imagine the environment. It's hot, it's stuffy, there's a lot of people shoved in there, there's no air conditioning, and you've got a young man who is sitting in the window, in an opening, uh, probably feeling the heat on one side and the cool night air on the other side, and he falls asleep. That's the only reason you're ever allowed to fall asleep while I'm preaching is if you're sitting in a window. Uh, we'll, we'll just make that rule hard and fast here, write it in stone. He falls out. Paul raises him from the dead. If you fall asleep in one of my sermons and die, I am not raising you back from the dead. You get what you deserve. Uh, Paul doesn't feel that way. He does go down and raises the young man, Eutychus, back to life. Uh, they, they celebrate. People are excited. That, that's not an everyday occurrence. And they, uh, they, Paul ends up speaking until daybreak. So he speaks for another five, six hours at that point. Very long sermon. Uh, this is one of the reasons, if you look at the, the language there, it doesn't say Paul spoke at them. It says Paul spoke with them. And so it seems to be less of a sermon lecture format than it is Paul is there encouraging them and they are discussing the word of God and they are having a time of, of mutual benefit and edification. Uh, and I, I think there's a benefit to doing that. We do that, okay? Not in this format, uh, but we do that in other formats and should do that often, uh, maybe even more than we probably do. But you've got a great story there of Paul just going and having a success here in Troas. I want to point this out. 
in the story of the book of Acts as we've gone through it, especially by the time you get to about chapter 13 where Paul goes on his missionary journey, as a whole, how well has Paul been received? Not great until this point. It is interesting, there seems to be a turning point in the ministry of Paul. The first missionary journey, it was kind of short, but in nearly every city there was conflict, 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 conflict. You know, he was oppressed, he was run out of town, the Jews would follow him from one town to the next, stirring up trouble in the next town, and he really struggled to have a, a truly successful meeting. He had some success in every city, but he also had quite a bit of conflict in every single city. You see the same thing on the second missionary journey also. Uh, when he got to uh, Philippi, it was a very limited amount of success. At this point, though, in Ephesus, it was one of the first places Paul goes where there truly is a remarkable and great turn toward the gospel. And then you get to Troas. He's only here for a week. We don't know what all he did during that week. Uh, but you, 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 know, you don't read of conflict really popping up. But he continues to travel quickly because he wants to get back to Jerusalem for the day of Pentecost. Okay? Uh, all of that, and, and again, like I said, we were just kind of rushing through the stories tonight. Okay? All stories we're fairly familiar with. A couple of things I want you to pay attention to as we, as we wrap up this evening. One is this. I think sometimes we scare ourselves into silence when it comes to delivering the word of God because we are afraid of conflict. And let me tell you, if our go-to activity when it comes to delivering the word of God is conflict, then we're doing it wrong. The gospel is not about conflict. The gospel is not about winning debates. The gospel is not about making ourselves look smart or smarter than everyone else. The gospel is not about us. It's about God. And we need to be the kind of people who are willing to go. And if the best we can do for now is just give them one more verse to fill in the gap, then just do that. That's it. Let that be your one thing. Uh, it, and, and I think there would be a great, uh, greater amount of success if we lowered the expectation of what's going to be the outcome and just made it about doing the activity. Uh, there's a book that I, I read a few, about a year ago, called Atomic Habits. And uh, it was an excellent book, if ever you get a chance to read it or get a chance to borrow it from me and not read it, Steve. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. So the, uh, and I know. So uh, no, we, it, one of the principles of the book is this. We get so set on goal making and thinking about the outcome that we almost scare ourselves into inactivity. Do you see how we do that with evangelism? We get so focused on this has to land in a baptism. If they don't end up in the water, then I've failed. And so we scare ourselves into inactivity because we don't see that outcome happening with this one person because they're somewhat cantankerous or they've been argumentative in the past, and so we just never bring it up at all. 
let me tell you the best thing you can do in most situations is instead of thinking it's all going to land into a conflict or thinking about the goal of what needs to happen, maybe the best thing to do is just do the next verse. That's it. You've got somebody you've been trying to teach for years. Instead of saying, hey, let's sit down and do a Bible study, you just send them a verse and say, hey, read this today. Hands off. Be done. Be done for the day. That's it. Can you do that? Is that simple? It doesn't have to be more complicated than that. Sometimes the best thing we can do is just get, fill in a gap and let God give the increase. We, we talk about that idea all the time, that we plant, you know, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Sometimes the best thing we can do is just plant a seed, plant a seed, plant a seed, and that's it. That's all you got to do. I, I love that in Scripture, the, the, the picture we're given of being gospel spreaders is being a seed spreader. You, you, you stick your hand down in that bag, you pull up that handful of seed, and you just throw it out there. Okay? I think some of us get so caught up on, well, if this one seed doesn't produce fruit, well, I've failed, and, and therefore, you know, we plant more in a modern, we, we evangelize more in a modern-day farming situation, which is where you go and you till a row, and you mound it up, and then you make all of these systematic holes down the row, and then you drop one or two seeds into every single hole, and then you cover them up nicely, and you water the whole thing. I don't know how many of you do any sort of... So, I mean, that, that's the way we do it these days because we're all about very organized and, and rectangular garden plots and we want every square inch to be productive. And so we have a very specific way to do it. And that's the way we try to evangelize. Everything we say, everything we do has to be perfectly done in order for this to be, have the best outcome possible and, and if it's not going to have the best outcome possible, I'm not even going to get started. I'm not even tilling the ground. Like, I'm just going to leave it. Just, just, I'm not doing it. That's not the scriptural picture. The scriptural picture is to stick your hand in the bag of seed and throw. And sometimes that just means throwing one seed out there. Just throw one verse out there. That's it. One thing. And, and let God be the one to open the door when they're ready to have the conversation. And we can all do that. We, we can all throw seed if that were just our focus in doing it. Another thing you read in this, this little short section uh, or longer section that we covered from the book of Acts tonight is that, you know, like Paul teaches with the, with the men of uh, the 12 men, I think sometimes we need to sit back and, and dwell on what God has done to us through baptism because the more we appreciate what God has done to us, the more we will desire to have God do that to others. You know, we've received the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Most of us in here can say that. We've been washed and through that washing we've been regenerated 
And as 2 Corinthians chapter 5 talks about, we've been made a new creature. We've been regenerated by what the Holy Spirit has done in us. Isn't that great? Isn't that a great feeling to know? I am not who I was. At least I shouldn't be. That that man is dead. That sinner I used to be is gone. I used to be a sinner way back then. Now I'm redeemed. Now I'm new. Now I am regenerated. Now I am, I am fresh and new. I am what God intended for me to be. That's what I gained because of the work of the Holy Spirit on my soul in baptism. Do you know anybody that needs that? Do you know anybody that could use a new life? Use new hope? Gain something they're never going to get on their own unless they turn to Jesus. Do you know anybody like that? Because if you don't share that with them, you are the reason they're not getting it. And I love that, that Paul was just, he was alert. He was ready, just like Priscilla and Aquila. Wait, wait, you don't have the whole truth. Let's have a conversation. And we need to be willing to have those conversations with people. We need to be willing to step up and, and open those doors and be willing to do that. Not, not like the 12 or the, the sons of Sceva there. Not, you know, I, I'm going to very fakely do this, you know, be some, you know, prepare to be something that I'm not in order to have some sort of power that I don't really have. It, you know, not that way. Be genuinely, truly joyful redeemed, happy, people who are, who are content in the Lord, people who are hopeful. If we present ourselves that way, we'll make a difference. I have always, and y'all have heard me talk about this a lot, but I'm always amazed that Paul said the way to look different than this world is by not complaining or grumbling. You want to be lights in this world, don't complain, don't grumble. That's how to do it. That makes you so different. And that's not a modern day thing, although I think it is especially true in modern days because we feel like our world is especially dark these days. But you go out there and you start smiling and you don't complain. And when other people complain, you go, you know what? It's okay. I, I'm, I'm not worried. You, know, you, you find the positive thing to think about you you find a good thing to say about somebody else that no one really likes you, you find a good way to to bring people's attention back to how there is hope and people are going to want that people are always attracted to that and we need to be willing to be that those kind of people uh, i i you know we don't really have a sense of who Paul is, and, and, and I've told you all before, I, I, I remember back when I was a teenager and I watched the visual, visual Bible series on the book of Matthew. Do you all remember that? Okay, uh, listening to Jeremy DeHutch preach a few weeks ago, and he said, it's the, it's the movie with the smiling Jesus. You know, do you all know what I'm talking about? I mean, he smiled the whole series. It, it was, I had never pictured Jesus when I was in high school. 
until I saw that movie series and I went, you know what? That's probably true. I have the same Paul. I, I, I picture Paul as this very harsh, hard man. Yet it is that harsh, hard man who said, do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you may be lights in a dark world. Which means probably I have the wrong picture of Paul in my head. Wouldn't you think? I have the wrong picture. You're not going to win people over through harshness, through argument, through conflict, through letting them have it, through, through correcting everything, every false thing you see. Well, I'm, I'm going to come at it. I'm going I'm to fix this. I'm going to show them what's right. No. You know how you, you, know how you really stick out in this world? Leave it alone and focus on your hope. That's how you stick out in this world. Be a joyful person. You be that joyful person and it is amazing how people will come to you when they need hope. They will come to you because you're one of the only people they've ever met who actually has hope. And it opens up doors. I, I, I think there is a reason people kept coming to Paul to hear him, and it wasn't because he was an excellent speaker. No, Paul's actually presented in contrast to Apollos. Apollos was mighty in words. Paul talks all the time about how he was not mighty in words, uh, that he did not come to people with eloquent speech and with a great gift of oratory. That wasn't Paul. People came to Paul because he had hope and they will do the same for you and me if we'll just come to the or, or, or be that picture in the world last lesson real quick for us to think about when it comes to this section of acts is that we need to be the kind of people who are willing to put worship first i have been in places and this it is Luckily, not the situation here, as I preach over my allotted time, that where it, the ending time is more important than the beginning time. I've actually been at a church one time where I was rebuked because they said, we advertise our ending time on purpose. You better stick to it. I was told that by leadership. And, uh, and I, I've never had that feeling here. I probably should a little more than I do because I probably take advantage of y'all's kindness a little more often than I should. But uh, I, I love that in this picture of the church in Troas, they were so excited to be together and to hear a message from Paul and to converse with Paul and talk to Paul about the things that were going on. And I imagine they had a lot of conversations about what was going on in different cities, and Paul was able to tell them, well, this is the reception we received back in Ephesus, and this is how it went in Athens, and this is the way it went up in Philippi. And they were excited to hear that, and they spent almost 12 hours together discussing, and, and not just 12 hours of convenience, but from sundown to sunup. Like, like they were up all night long with each other except for Eutychus, who fell asleep, which probably scared the rest of them from falling asleep. But, I mean, you see the way that they were willing to, to, to be together, no matter what it took, 
That's the way God's people look. We desire to be together. Uh, and I, I, I think there's a great lesson there for us. I will never, I promise you, preach until midnight. Okay? But what a great thing that is. I, I, I've, you know, it, it has always amazed me growing up going to camps. And uh, you're there with all these kids that you only see once a year. And you're so excited to get there, and you stay up all night long, all week long, spending time together, talking, enjoying one another's company. You get to the end of the week, and the kids are boo-hooing. Uh, that doesn't happen the way we dismiss kids at camp. But the way we used to dismiss kids from camp is like it was, it was a free-for-all where parents had basically were dragging kids to the car while the kids were fighting to get back out and with all their friends. I mean, it was, I mean, it, 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 it was hard to pull these young Christians away from each other because of the enthusiasm they had being together. That's the way the church should look. We shouldn't be having conversations about how do we get people to come back on Sunday nights. The question should be, how do we get them to go home on Sunday mornings? Aren't those two very different pictures? And we need to be the kind of church who has the kind of enthusiasm that we want to be together discussing our Lord and our hope and our faith. And we should do whatever it takes to provide for that. Obviously, whatever is scriptural, but we need to, we need to create opportunities for that. Because it's a great thing to be with God's people. If you're not one of God's people, tonight would be a good night to become one. Uh, not for any special reason other than tonight is available and tomorrow might not be. And so I encourage you, if you're not a child of God, to become one. Let him be the focus of your life. Let him be Lord. And as we talked about, we've all sinned, so we all know you are a sinner if you've not been redeemed. And we all deserve death. That's what Romans 6.23 says. And we know that if you will believe with your heart and confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, you will be saved. You can be saved. And we know that if you will die in baptism and be raised to walk in newness of life, that the Holy Spirit will regenerate you and renew you and make you a new creature. And so we invite you to that tonight. If you're not a child of God, tonight is the night to become one. If we can help you with that, please come forward and let us know as we stand and sing this song. Thanks for listening and studying God's Word with us. We want to help you draw closer to Jesus as your Lord. If you feel some need as a result of today's message, whether that be a need to seek God's salvation or you are just in the need of prayers, please reach out to us. You can find out more about us, including contact information at edwardslakechurch.org. If you want to continue to open God's word with us, please check out other sermons on our podcast or come visit with us at Edwards Lake Church anytime you can. Thanks again, and we pray God's blessings for you.